This is the Church Planting Podcast, brought to you by the Broadcast Network. Broadcast exists to support, train and encourage church planters. For more information about who we are or about the training that we offer, please visit our website at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org. Hello everyone, welcome to the Broadcast Podcast. Uh, My name is Tom, I'm the Director of Broadcast and I've got with me again Tim Simmons from Christchurch Manchester. Tim, how are you doing? I'm well, thank you Tom, thank you. Great, good to have you on again. Last week Tim and I started a conversation about young people in church, talking about why young people are important, worth focusing on uh, and how they can be hard work at times as well, but it's worthwhile pushing through and we're going to continue the conversation today with a particular eye on leadership a lot of young people have potential for leadership current leadership aspiration for leadership and um, sometimes church leaders struggle with what to do with that and how to bring young people through and so we thought we'd just delve for a little bit into into that and I want to start Tim by just asking you a little bit about your own journey because I know at times you've alluded to the fact that when you were younger, you sometimes perhaps were a little bit frustrated about not getting the opportunities you might have wanted or um, felt a bit um, like there was more that you, you wanted to do. Do you want to, rather than me putting words into it for you, just tell us a little bit about Tim in his 20s. How did you see yourself? What did you want to do? Like, what, what was your, your world at that time? Yep, yep, yep. Um, so... I'll go a bit earlier than my 20s. So I think I became a Christian when I was about five or six, <laughs> a Christian family, and then encountered God quite powerfully. I think I was about 10 or something like that. Um, I remember it really clearly. The, my old church in Woking, and they had, um, I think his name was Bob Crane. Bob Crane, who was a vineyard pastor. In the, he was there in the 80s. all I remember about the meeting is being 10 being bored him asking the Holy Spirit to come down and it happening and um yeah and always I think from that moment kind of always wanted to be a pastor um and my granddad was a pastor as well and I think I always just quite fancied copying him (laughs) so but I always felt it quite clearly all the way through even when I was uh, being a crazy teenager and uh, drinking too much and doing things I shouldn't I it was still always in the back of my head um and so um, in my early 20s, after uni, got married, moved to Birmingham um, and became part of a church there. And I just, I, that was what I wanted to do. In all of my immaturity and great enthusiasm, that was, yeah, that was kind of what I wanted always, I think. Yeah. So, so when you were at that point, so you, you've rocked up in Birmingham, you're quite newly married. And were you thinking, I'm going to show up here and they're basically going to let me run this church that I've just joined or uh, was there aspiration at that moment for something currently or was it a maybe one day in the dark distant future I'll get to have a go were you pushing or just kind of not really I was pushing but I didn't think I was going to lead the church or anything like like that I I want all I think all I wanted was somebody to take me seriously Mm. and to give me the opportunity to learn some things. I really, it, if you boiled it down, got through all of the bravado, uh, mm-hmm. that I, that's what I wanted. I, I didn't think the church would give me a job or anything like that. Yeah. I wanted somebody to spend a bit of time, take me seriously. That was all, all I was after, really. Yeah. And 
did did that happen? Did you find there were people who invested in you? Did you? I presume you got some opportunities to do some things. Like, what did they get you involved with? Was there more you wanted to do? There was. Uh, there was a really good guy in the church who um, was one of the senior leaders there, and um, nothing much really happened until I bumped into him, uh, and he was just one of those guys who just encourages. And he would say his his great gift is in encouragement. Like he pretty good preacher. He's now leads a church, seems pretty good at it. But his thing was he could um, just encourage you. So he pursued me a little bit and we had lunches often. And he must have, must be am I probably a decade older than me, maybe a bit more. Um, and so had, was just further on in the life journey. He had kids. He you know, had done well in his job um, outside before he went to work for a church. Um, and he just spent time and allowed me to dream which I'd found previously people just kind of look at you and shut you down uh, he allowed me to dream took my dreaming seriously about church planting and uh, that sort of thing um, and encouraged me in it um, so he was fantastic actually he was very encouraging um, and eventually he was kind of um, an advocate for me I would say so I and I think this now, actually, that um, young leaders need someone who believe in them and will stand up for them when when they're not there with other older leaders. So he stood up for me when other people would look at me and say, Tim is arrogant and opinionated, um, which would have been true. Um, and, and yeah, it might still be true. And, and there was a little bit he's arrogant and opinionated, so we can't trust him. It will go wrong. Or, um, and it's too risky. Uh, whereas this guy was would say it is risky, but uh, I'll help him. I'll stand with him. I'll look after him. I'll tell him when he's doing stuff that's annoying. Yeah. Um, so he was the advocate for me in a good church that was risk averse, I would say. <laughs> and they were um, for, for, for they certainly were towards me anyway. And that might not be true for everyone. Um, so, yeah, so that that was a that was a key moment for me. So he. Um, so I led me and Vic led a community group for a while, um, which we were okay at, and then we um, kind of both led worship, led worship at church, which Vic was good at and I was not. <laughs> and and then we took on the student work in the church just in our spare time, and then it just clicked. We just were able. I think we kind of our timing was good. We we picked up the student work at about the moment it was ready to pop, and it had some good people in it. And we just got it organized enough so that it could do what I think it was about to do anyway. Uh, and it popped and we, um, we kind of just kept that momentum going. So it went from 20 students to about 90 in about two or three years. Um, at which point, everybody was a bit nervous of us, thought we were brilliant all of a sudden. And the guy who'd advocated for me was, was saying, yeah, I knew it'd be fine all along. So, um, so the advocate position I think is so important. Um, because otherwise you just I found myself going up against people having to stand up for myself mm. which just makes you look doesn't make you look good it makes you look ar more arrogant than you are makes you look more opinionated than you are more self-assured and self-confident than you actually are yeah. so all of those things it w weren't helping me until he got involved yeah I, I mean reflecting back on that it sounds like you're fairly typical of quite a lot of people at that stage of life you you've got your um, personal situation sorted, I guess, you, you knew where you wanted to live, you were married, you had a job, you were wanting to get involved in church and 
you're finding some doors were opening you got to try different ministry areas and um yeah just having that one person then who who saw more in you and what, like what you could be was key how's that then so like fast forward a bit to you, you show up in manchester what early 30s by the time yeah. you got here yeah when you're then planting into Fallowfield, you've got all these uh, students and early 20s around you. Was that advocate figure in, in your mind as you were looking to bring them through? How, how did you take what you learned from him into your own developing of other leaders? Uh, no, I entirely forgot it, I would say. <laughs> so um, I think in definitely in the first five or so I've been at it in, in Manchester, nearly 13 years now. I'd say definitely in the first five, six years, um, I, I forgot it, really. Um, and I, I think that's just because I was now getting my opportunity and you get your head down and you get moving and you, you, you're not... Um, it's hard to... Like, leadership development is something that everybody loves to talk about and loves to kind of promote and leaders tell other leaders you've got to bring through leaders and all of this. But actually, it's really, really hard to do um, not everyone can do it. In fact, I would say much less people can do it than they think they can. It is really difficult because you have to give away things that perhaps are very dear to you and trust people and all of the stuff that annoyed me in Birmingham, I was I started to do. Um, so although when I moved to Manchester, um, the church led by Colin Barron, he became my new advocate. <laughs> and except it was a bit different in that he would be standing up to me on behalf of other people. Um, so, and so that was quite a, that was quite a, 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 I it's a relatively long journey to, to grow in that really. And you realize that there is a whole bunch of, um, it's totally emotional processing. So it's complete um, personal security, insecurity that comes through in all of this stuff, um, which you, I couldn't possibly understand. Like I'd, I could intellectually understand it, but I couldn't understand what it was like until you were in the moment of somebody else wanting to have a go in your church and not even that they would be better. They might be better than you, but they might break what, what you've worked really hard for um, or scare people off or goodness knows what could go wrong. And the, I, that was really, you had to, I had to go through that two or three times before you can start understanding why you feel the way you do. It sounds very touchy feely, but it really is actually, um, the kind of emotional processing of leading and bringing people through, I think is the, the least understood part of it. Yeah. Yeah. I think back a bit on my own story. I, I thought coming into this conversation that it might be more different to your story than it was, but um, there's a lot of similarity actually. I became a Christian at 19 and uh, within a year I was involved in a youth ministry that probably got 40 people most weeks. So relatively sizable youth ministry and the guy leading it was exactly that for me he was my advocate that you've been talking about and so he brought me onto his team very quickly I was like the number two person running it with him um, he got me preaching in the main services like he's the one who put my name forward and argued that I should be doing it and giving me opportunities to do stuff that I had only been a Christian a year or two. I hadn't even been thinking I could do this. Like, I just, I just wanted to follow Jesus and, you know, serve in whatever way. But he was pushing, like, hey, let's undo this, give him a go at that, and really quite shaping. And and then found, I, I was in a very different kind of church setup that 
the way that opportunities came was you applied for jobs in different churches to where you were rather than being brought through and so again he pushed me into that world and was like Tom you should be applying for some stuff like there's things you can do and at 24 I took a job and was given an opportunity to run a congregation which thinking back is crazy young really to be given that um but for me then I think I think looking back the, the missing ingredient for me uh, having had all that opportunity was just a little bit of help how to do it like I was a 24 year old guy who had no clue what I was doing and I came into something that when I came in I thought wow this is so exciting to be able to do it and it didn't take long before I realized that within what I'd been given there was some quite complicated stuff going on and some foundational stuff that hadn't quite been built as it could have been and I just didn't know what to do and I so having a bit of coaching I think would have yeah that's the missing ingredient I think in, in my journey at that point and it was only a few years later that I came into other settings and was able to reflect back on it and reflect on other things that were going on that I really then found that that sounding board to discuss the issue hear some talking about it and, and I, did, did you have much of that in Birmingham I know you had the guy advocating for you but was there a lot of here's how to do it showing you working alongside you or, or were you figuring it out yourself as well um it's a I remember um I really wanted to preach because you know I just did and uh, it was a uh, it was just it was before multi-site was particularly fashionable in the UK at least. So it was just, there was one service um, and I was quite a long way down the pecking order of who could preach, um, which it was, was a truth. There was a lot of, you know, gifted preachers there. So, uh, and I was not one of those. I was a newbie who wanted his first go. Um, and it was a difficult place to be able to do that. Um, and, but they eventually let me preach and it was, I was awful, <laughs> it was terrible, absolutely terrible preach. But no, they didn't, nobody showed me how to preach. Nobody took me through how to even kind of extrapolate from a passage or um, do your exegesis or put together a structure or how to even stand at the front and why it's a good idea to have a lectern. I mean, stupid stuff that nobody, so it was awful. And then they told me afterwards, yeah, it was terrible. Here's all the reasons why it's terrible. We'll let you preach again, maybe in a couple of years. And I was like, ah, oh. it really was. I was, uh, I was, I think I was a bit heartbroken, really. It was, I felt a bit abandoned in it. And um, it was, yeah, a very strange experience. Uh, and I would compare that to Manchester where, so I came up north and I didn't, you know, my preaching gift was what it was. So not particularly high, but over the years of guys like you and, Andy joining, um, who in a funny way became my coaches and advocates for preaching, even though you're both 10 years younger than me, but you both knew how to and had been taught how to and learned how to. Um, I, I learned how to preach and that was just by sitting with me and just, you know, and me observing. And, and so it was, uh, so that kind of, I felt very strange about that in Birmingham. So there, there was the guy who really looked after me and helped push me through, but it, the culture of the church was it, it was hard to come through because i mean and, and they would say there wasn't a lot of opportunity it's a very different church now you, there are loads more um how they're structured now actually they're multi-site as well so there's if i was a young guy there now i'm sure it would be a very different story um it would be a lot easier there's just more space they'd be more desperate to bring me through than they were 
than they were then. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's making me think of something we talk about quite a lot up in Manchester and on broadcast about having two bars, a low bar and a high bar. And I heard Colin mention that this way of putting it years ago, uh, when he observed that in a lot of church world, we have kind of one bar that we, we set for a preacher or a leader or someone who's going to um, lead worship or run a group or whatever it might be. And the bar sets somewhere in the middle. And it's a little bit too high for most people who haven't done it before. So if you're Tim in his 20s, if you're Tom in his 20s, and um, whoever it might be, you haven't got the experience. You, you haven't been shown how to do something. And there's a certain expectation level for how good people are if they're going to do it. It means you have a go at it. And, and often you're not at the standard. And so, like in your case, you don't get an invite back for a while because you've not reached this bar. But, but with the bar being in the middle, it means that once people have reached the level where they clear the bar, they kind of just stay a bit static and that's where you are, that, that's your level. And you, you, you get eventually at a point that you can reach a, a reasonably okay standard, but that's all it is. And, when Colin said there needs to be two bars, a low bar of entry, and we, we want to make it so people who have no experience and haven't done stuff before get that first step onto, onto the ladder. I think that was just revolutionary for me that um, we've had so many bad preachers at CCM that I can think of. Um, and that's, that's a feature, not a bug, because that, that is the low bar. But then the high bar, how do we take these people and really get them very good? Not just kind of the, the medium, but how do we draw people on? How do we keep developing? And uh, we've worked hard over the last few years to build ways and systems of doing it. But that development and that coaching, I mean, I, I think that's Colin's number one skill. He's got a lot of gifts, but that ability to, to coach and take a young leader and really bring them through into to all it can be it's, it's just sensational in him yeah i mean the preaching thing is uh, i mean colin set the culture but it's you and andy brownlee as much as anyone uh, teaching like really going through the nuts and bolts the preaching training course we do which is on the broadcast website all of that stuff helps i mean the interesting thing about the the having the so i hear a number of churches say we have a high bar for leadership and um they're, they're often talking about character in that and or we'll say we have a high bar for our preachers. But what it tends to mean is they have maybe one really good preacher who carries a lot of weight and then the rest are all all right. But, you know, you're not writing home about them. Um, it makes it really, they just, it's so hard for them to have their first attempt and then their second or third attempt because one preacher may be dominating. I mean, it's one of the, one of the tricky things of multi-site and really leaning on a centralized preaching system whilst having a lot of congregations uh, some people are kind of against it biblically which i'm not i'm not sure i'm that uh, that interested in that argument but the from purely from the opportunity to bring through leaders having a kind of core preaching team even if it's a couple of people who travel around the city uh, which i know a number of churches do that you can understand why they do it because they you know that it's a way of tying the church together and a way of, you know, making sure people are taught the same stuff and that they experience 
um, people who know their Bible well and are good preachers and good people, but it is quite self-limiting as well. And it just is really quite reductive, I think, in terms of the number of people you can bring through. Um, yeah. 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 I mean, even that comment you made about making sure they're taught the same stuff is quite a, an interesting thing to reflect on because it's saying we, we'll trust people sometimes to give a sermon, but we won't trust the people to to have that insight into what people need to hear to make the decisions it's it's another area in not quite being willing to give something away um that that sometimes is applied there um i just want to talk about a couple of culture things as well before we wrap this up um we've got a number of cultures that we talk about here at ccm but just two of them that i think are relevant for this conversation and the first one is the have a go culture which we talk about a lot and i think when i first was in conversations about it i i had in mind quite a, a passive um culture where by have a go we're saying to people all right well if something's on your heart fine give it a try and see what happens i think when we're talking about young people in leadership one thing that i've noticed is there's a lot of young people who have really strong gifts and character and potential who are not stepping forward and saying please would you let me do this but actually they need a little bit of permission need a little bit of encouragement and coaxing along the way and i just wonder what reflections you've got on how a have a go culture works when uh, there is that need to really um talk people into it sometimes yeah no we really do uh, i mean we've had my um my team meeting from our fallowfield site this morning which is very Kind of students in 20s like the average age of that church must be 21 uh, as a 44 year old in that in that congregation it's uh, yeah most of them could be my kids so and we were talking about it this morning i said look what we've got to remember is often when we get these 18 year olds we are helping them to go from being kids to being adults and actually within the first year 18 months of them with us that is often the journey now some of them turn up and they're more mature than me i mean some of the people we've got over the years 18 year olds you think How, what were you taught by your parents it's incredible um and then some who are just you know average 18 year olds who uh, do some brilliant stuff and some ridiculous stuff you wonder what on earth they're so uh, you you realize that actually you're taking them on that journey so the, the have a go thing really sometimes it's as basic as i want you to have a go at being on the welcome team uh, and and like there's we've had it a few times over the last couple of months that someone will turn up just before the meeting starts and, and leaves right at the moment it ends and they and they'll then they'll clear off and we've realized okay we need to explain to them in very clear terms what they are responsible for and then we need to not just tell them we need to show them how to do it um and it's for some of our, you know, it's always for some of the team, it's a bit frustrating. You're like, it's obvious what you do on welcome. Come on, everybody knows how to do it. And it is very basic, but it's in terms of a have a go, it's a, it's fundamentally teaching someone what they need to do almost bit by bit. And then the next week, they're a little bit better at it. And it sounds real knucklehead, and it's not like giving someone a preach, but there is a, we want you to be carry your weight in this church. And you may have come from a church where the only weight carriers were two or three times your age, your parents' generation. And you came from a youth group where life was lovely and you had a youth worker and all of this stuff. 
um, and church was kind of laid on for you and we hope you came back but here we want you fully involved because you, this is it's for you and it's about you and it's aimed at people like you so we need you to step in and step up so it was a it's really very very step by step um often actually in terms of the have a go stuff it's the you'd feel like you would say right who wants to preach and everybody's hand would go up but actually numbers of people in fact the majority if not all at this point in time would need to be talked into it, which would have been different 10 years ago, I think. But at the moment, it's a, uh, we live in a bit of a different time, I think. Yeah, yeah I, I think you're absolutely right. Um, and that's just something to be aware of, isn't it? With like, leadership, when, when we want to bring young people through, we can't be passive in that then as leaders. We, we can't be thinking and waiting to see who puts their hand up. It's got to be drawn alongside people. It's got to be having those conversations. It's got to be those little nudges, those little suggestions, those invitations. Why don't you come and do this? Why don't you come and help me do that? And without that, we probably will end up, even if we do have young people in the church, with that passive, that youth group culture that you were just talking about, of it's all done for me. And that's yeah. not what we're building at all. Um, I mean, I think we face a big in the UK, if we want to plant churches, if we want the church to grow, if we want it not to get old <laughs> and die, the, the bar for leadership needs to be dropped quite significantly to actually to be able to cope with people in their early 20s yeah. uh, and to be able to bring them through. So, and you're absolutely right. It's not just the one bar that says we'll basically take anyone. It's one bar, one low bar that, makes it very easy for people to take the first step with the aim of then getting to the the excellent higher bar um, and that the the higher bar is higher than the one we currently have and the lower bar is much lower than the one we currently have yeah. and, and I, you know i think we'll be in crisis if we don't do it if we're not yeah. already in crisis yeah it's really interesting thing about hearing preachers from the gospels talking about the disciples and um, often people will reflect on how stupid Peter is sometimes, some of the stuff that he does, and James and John wanting these um, seats at the right and left hand of Jesus. And I think sometimes we don't remember the age that these guys were at. So Jesus was, what, 30 when he started his public ministry? Called these guys would be younger than him. Like, I believe John was probably a teenager, Peter and James in their early 20s. And is it any wonder they go around doing the stuff that 20-year-olds do? Like, they... They're impetuous, they're, um, they're fun, they put their foot in their mouth, but there's energy and there's vibrancy. And uh, I think a lot of the bars that we'd set, the disciples would not have cleared them when Jesus called them to follow him. And yet, by the time he'd done with them, people were, whoa, you must have been with Jesus. Like, the bar was sky high. And I think mean, he's the good model for low bar and high bar. And they were doing such significant stuff when they were still figuring out their character and it wasn't like you mature a bit first and then you get an opportunity, but it seems yeah. to happen side by side. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. You think of the guys that wanted Jesus to burn the village <laughs> that yeah. rejected him. I, I think, I wonder if those guys would have gotten our leadership training courses in the UK. I wonder <laughs> what, how they would get through one of those church planning, um, yeah. you know, boot camps or something <laughs> like that. No chance on earth, but yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, which, which kind of brings us on to the other culture thing that I wanted to talk about, which we've, we've alluded to already, but the second chance culture, the 
it's so big. Like those guys, when they wanted to call down the fire from heaven, like a lot of leaders would, even if they let them on the course, would would say, right, that's that's enough. You're out. Like you, you've not met the standard. And I think this is so toxic for church planting and leadership development that someone gets an opportunity to to have a go maybe they they start a community group maybe they lead worship or whatever in your case it was you did a preach that didn't go so well and because of having a go once it's like your name's crossed off the list and you're just not even considered and there's this scrap heap of potential of um, we, we we have no leaders and like when you dig into it it's people just they've had a chance and that's it and I, I mean what what for you would you say um as you've led th this second chance culture have you found this something that uh, it has been quite easy to get people back on the the horse after falling off or have you found people like you who wanted another go or so, sometimes people don't want to go like once they've been burned by it and there's a bit of persuading what's your experience of it all I've been thinking about that book you made me read, uh, <laughs> Time to Ship Around by David Marquette, yeah. about the guy who took on the failing American nuclear submarine. And, um, you know, it was failing on all sorts of metrics for the US Navy and nuclear submarines shouldn't fail. Um, and so by him being the captain of it, he just reorganized, remotivated, really worked hard on the crew, uh, improved morale, improved performance in all sorts of ways, like made it from like the worst performing to the best in like a couple of years. Um, and the thing that really leapt out at me was the amount of training that he got them to do. Sounds so knucklehead, but the kind of high, almost quite repetitive because they had quite small tasks often the crew had like set tasks they had to do, um, especially kind of lower down the, the, the hierarchy. Um, but, and he said that they realized, he realized though sometimes they were making impulsive reactions under pressure um, that were incorrect and they couldn't explain why. And he realized just the quality of training and encouragement they were getting was very poor. So it, for us, it, we talk about have a go and second chance, but actually we've worked really hard at the amount of training that we have. And often when we, we see gaps, we think, right, how, what can we do? So we brought through the preaching training, for example, which really improved somebody's first attempt. We realized if they did what we told them, they did very well the first time. Um, we knew that they would. And if they didn't, they would do badly. We saw it time and time again. Numbers of people over the years were like, we know better, we'll do it our way. And it was shocking. Um, and then the people that did as we told did really well. Uh, but then we realized actually there, there's probably a gap in people's biblical knowledge. So we made the school of theology. To, and that was part of the motivation. Actually, we got to bring through loads of preachers. So we got to give them training. And then the same, we realized that actually, perhaps there was somewhat of a, a lack in terms of people's spiritual awareness. So we did school of ministry, talked much more about the Holy Spirit. So that all those training elements make it, so when you say, it's out, have a go and second chance can sound a bit slapdash, um, but I don't think it is. I think actually behind the scenes, we've worked really hard on our training. And, and the second chance thing is a two-way culture where you're, you're training your, your preachers not to, or your leaders really, not to um, despise the people and be cynical about the people and the people to be very open to young leaders 
making a mess <laughs> of their Sunday service or making a mistake in their church community and making it hard for a while. But if they can see the training and the coaching that goes alongside it, which again, Colin was always very good at doing, he would kind of, when he could, the, the, all of the church would know that he, so for example, when it was really in the early days, when it was me and him, and I was obviously the trainee, and he was obviously the coach, he would make it very easy for people to accept my mistakes because he would be very visible and he would work the room and he would see people in the week. And if anybody had complaints, he would stand up for me. And if I was whinging about the people, he would stand up for them. So it's a very, so it's, it's actually a very deliberate way of doing church that we try and do. Um, does that answer your question? I feel like I went a bit off piste. Um, I think it does. Yeah. I, I mean, the question was designed to prompt some reflection on it and, you reflected on it and it's good I, I i think this this issue that we've highlighted over the last couple of pods so um investing in young people and then drawing them through i, I just think it's something that we we do talk about it quite a lot in church world but we, we just need to keep plugging away at it because like you've said if we don't do this then the church grows old and fades away it, it really is the key and um, yeah, is there anything else on, on the topic you want to say before we wrap the, the episode to a close? Um, no, I'm good. Thanks, Tom. All right, cool. Well, thanks everyone for listening. We'll be back with some more content next week and see you next time. <laughs>